Chapter Sixteen of Say and Seal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Say and Seal by Susan Warner. Chapter Sixteen. Saturday was but a half holiday to Mrs. Derrick's little family, unless indeed they called their work play, which some of them did. It was spent thus, by Mrs. Derrick in the kitchen, in the bedrooms all over the house generally, with intervals at the oven door, by Mr. Linden in the sitting-room, where Faith came from time to time, as she got a chance, to begin some things with him, and learn to begin others by herself. The morning glided by, very fast on such smooth wheels of action, and dinner came with the first natural philosophy lesson yet unfinished. It was finished afterwards, however, and then Mr. Linden prepared himself to go forth on some expedition, of which he only said that it was a long one. "'I am going to petition to have tea half an hour later than usual tonight, Miss Faith,' he said. "'Just half an hour later, Mr. Linden?' she said, smiling. "'You shall have it when you like.' "'I hope to be home by that time. If not, don't wait for me. You will find all the materials for your French exercise on my table.' Which intimation quickened Faith's steps about the little she had beforehand to do, and also quickened a trifle the beating of her heart. It was not quiet, timidity and pleasure— were throbbing together, and throbbing fast, when she turned her back upon the rest of the house and went to Mr. Linden's room. She would have a good, uninterrupted time this afternoon, at any rate. And the materials were there, as he had said, all the materials, from books open and shut, to the delicate white paper and a pen which might be the very one Johnny Fax thought could write of itself. Faith stood and looked at them, and then sat down to work, if ever such a determination was taken by human mind. She had been a good while absorbed in her business when a knock came to the front door, which Faith did not hear. Cindy, however, had ears to spare, and presently informed Mrs. Derrick that a gentleman wished to see her. And in the sitting-room Mrs. Derrick found Dr. Harrison. "'You haven't forgotten to remember me, I hope, Mrs. Derrick,' he said, as he took her hand. He looked very handsome, and very pleasant, as he stood there before her, and his winning ease of manner was enough to propitiate people of harder temper than the one he was just now dealing with. "'No, indeed,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'I remember a great many things about you.' "'As in truth she did. "'But I dare say you've changed a good deal since then. "'You've been gone a great while, Dr. Harrison.' "'Do you hope I've changed? "'Or are you afraid I have?' "'Why, I don't think I said I did either,' said Mrs. Derrick, smiling, "'for she felt as if Dr. Harrison was an old acquaintance. "'And I suppose it makes more difference to you than to me, anyway.' "'Which words were not blunt in their intention.' but according to the good lady's habit were a somewhat unconscious rendering of her thoughts. "'How's Miss Sophie, after her holiday? I always think plays the hardest work that's done.' "'I'm very sorry you found it so,' said the doctor. "'You needn't be,' said Mrs. Derrick, rocking complacently and making her knitting needles play in a style that certainly might be called work. "'I've got over it now. To be sure, I was tired to death, but I like to be once in a while.' The doctor laughed, as if in a way he had found his match. "'And how is Miss Derrick?' he asked. "'If she was tired, too, it was my fault.' "'I guess that'll never be one of your faults, Dr. Harrison,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'It would take any amount of folks to tire her out. "'She's just like a bird always. "'Oh, she's well, of course, or I shouldn't be sitting here.' "'And so like a bird that she lives in a region above mortal view, "'and only descends now and then?' "'Yes, she does stay upstairs a good deal,' said Mrs. Derrick, knitting away. Whenever she's got nothing to do down here, she's been down all morning. 
"'I can't shoot flying at this kind of game,' said the doctor. "'I'll endeavor to come when the bird is perched next time. "'But in the meanwhile, Miss Derrick seemed pleased the other night with these Chinese illuminations, "'and Sophie took it into her head to make me the bearer of one. "'It has never yet illuminated anything, hoping that it will do that office for her heart with Miss Derrick. "'The heart will bear inspection, I believe, with or without the help of the lantern.' "'And the doctor laid a little parcel on the table.' Mrs. Derrick looked at the parcel, and at the doctor, and knit around her, too. "'I'm sure she'll be very much obliged to Miss Harrison,' she said. "'But I know I shan't remember all the message. I suppose that won't matter.' "'Not in the least,' said the doctor. "'The lantern is expected to throw light upon some things. May I venture to give Mrs. Derrick another word to remember, which must depend upon her kindness alone for its presentation and delivery?' Mrs. Derrick stopped knitting and looked all attention. "'It isn't much to remember,' said the doctor, laughing gently. "'Sophie wishes very much to have Miss Derrick go with her tomorrow afternoon. "'She's going to drive to Deep River and wished me to do my best to procure Miss Derrick's goodwill "'and yours for this pleasure of her company. "'Shall I hope that her wish is granted?' "'Now Mrs. Derrick, though not quick like some other people, had yet her own womanly instincts, "'and that more than one of them was at work now was plain enough. "'But either they confused or thwarted each other, for laying down her work she said, "'I know she won't go.' but I'll let her come and give her own answer, and left the room, for another of her woman's wits made her never send Cindy to call Faith from her studies. Therefore she went up, and softly opening the door to the study room, walked in and shut it after her. Pretty child, she said, stroking Faith's hair. Are you very busy? Very, mother, said Faith, looking up with a burning cheek and happy face, and pen pausing in her hand. What then? Wasn't it the queerest thing that I said that day at Nantucket? said Mrs. Derrick, quite forgetting Dr. Harrison in the picture before her. "'What, dear mother? Why, when I asked why you didn't get Mr. Linden to help you, how do you write, child?' Which remark was meant admiringly. "'Mother,' said Faith, "'but it can be done,' she added with quiet resolution. "'I'm sure it never could by me in that style,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'My fingers always think they are ironing or making pie-crust. But, child, here's Dr. Harrison, come for nobody knows what,' except that Sophie took it into her head to send her heart by him, as near as I can make out, and he wants you to go to Deep River tomorrow. I said you wouldn't, and then I thought maybe you'd better speak yourself. But if you don't like to, you shan't. I can deal with him. I don't want to see Dr. Harrison, mother. Tomorrow, said Faith. Yes, I will see him. She rose up, laid her pen delicately out of her fingers, went downstairs and into the sitting-room, where she confronted the doctor. Faith was dressed as she had been at the party, with the single exception of the blue ribbon instead of the red oak leaves, and the excitement of what she had been about was stirring both cheek and eye. Perhaps some other stir was there, too, for the flush was a little deeper than it had been upstairs. But she met the doctor very quietly. He thought to himself the lanterns had lent nothing with their illumination the other night. "'No, sir,' she said as he offered her a chair. "'I have something to do. But Mother said—' "'Will the bird perch for no longer than this?' said the doctor, turning with humorous appeal to Mrs. Derrick, who had followed her. "'My birds do pretty much as they like, Dr. Harrison,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'They always did, even when I had them in cages.' "'Then this bird is free now?' "'I guess you'd better talk to her,' said Mrs. Derrick, taking her seat and her knitting again. "'Miss Derrick,' said the doctor, obeying this direction with obeisance, "'you are free to command, and I can but obey.' "'Will you go with Sophie tomorrow to Deep River? "'I am not altogether uninterested, "'as I hope to have the honour of driving you, "'but she sends her most earnest wish. 
Tomorrow is Sunday, Dr. Harrison. Well, isn't Sunday a good day? It isn't mine, said Faith gently. Not yours, said the doctor. You have promised it away, and we are so unfortunate. Her color rose a little, but it was with an eye as steady as it was soft she answered him. This day belongs to God, Dr. Harrison, and I have promised it and myself away to him. The doctor looked astonished for a minute, and he gazed at her. But, my dear Miss Derrick, do you think there is anything contrary to the offices of religion in taking a pleasant drive, in a pleasant country, in pleasant weather, that is all? Faith smiled a little, gravely. It was very sweet and very grave. There are all the other days for that, she said. God has given us his work to be done on his day, Dr. Harrison, and there is so much of it to do that I never find the day long enough. You are right, he said. You are quite right. You are a great deal better than I am. I'm sorry I asked you, and yet I am glad. Then, Miss Derrick, will you forgive me? And will you some other day show us that you forgive me, and be so good as to go with us? But Faith's interest in the subject was gone. I am very busy, sir, she said. I have work to do that I do not wish to put off. Cannot you go with us at all? Will we wait and make it any day? Do not wait, said Faith. I could go, but I could not go with pleasure, Dr. Harrison. I have not the time to spare for that, nor for more now. Please excuse me. And she went. Mrs. Derrick, said the doctor musingly, this is a winged creature, I believe, but it is not a bird. At which Mrs. Derrick looked at him with a mingled satisfaction that he had got his answer, and curiosity to know what he thought of it. For the further she felt herself from her child's high stand, the more presuming did she think it any one to try to bring her down from it. If I thought, as I came here, that I walked on a higher level than the generality of mankind, as perhaps in the vanity of my heart I did, I feel well put down on the ground now, pursued the doctor. But, Mrs. Derrick, when may I hope to see this winged thing of yours again? It must be confessed that Mrs. Derrick did not admire her this speech. A winged thing, as she justly thought, was a somewhat indefinite term and might mean a flying grasshopper as well as a canary-bird. Therefore it was with some quickness that she replied, "'What sort of winged creature are you talking of, doctor?' "'Nothing worse than a heavenly one, madame. But angel or cherub are such worn-out terms that I avoided them.' He was standing yet where Faith left him, looking down gravely, speaking half-lightly to her mother. "'I don't know who will see her when she's an angel,' said Mrs. Derrick, with a little flush coming over her eyes. "'But she wouldn't thank you for calling her one now,' she added presently, with her usual placid manner. "'Won't you sit down again, doctor?' "'May I ask,' said he, eyeing her, somewhat intent upon the answer, "'why she wouldn't thank me for calling her one now, by which I understand that it would incur her displeasure.' "'Why, why would she?' said Mrs. Derrick, who, having dropped a stitch, was picking it up with an intentness equal to the doctor's. "'True,' said the doctor in his usual manner. "'Angels don't thank mortals for looking at them.' But, Mrs. Derrick, when may such a poor mortal as I stand the chance of seeing this particular one again? Mrs. Derrick laid down her work. Well, you have changed, she said. There's no doubt of that. I don't recollect that you used to care so much about seeing her when you were here before. If I don't forget, you set your dog on her cat. And as to when you'll see her again, I'm sure I can't tell, doctor. She's a busy child, and folks out of the house have to do without seeing her till she finds time to see them. 
whereat Mrs. Derrick smiled upon Dr. Harrison with the happy consciousness that she was one of the folks in the house. The doctor stood smiling at her with a half-humorous, quite pleasant expression of face. "'Set my dog on her cat!' he exclaimed. "'That is why she would be angry at me for calling her a cherub. Tante na animis celebis The doctor sat down. "'What shall I do?' he said. "'Advise me, Mrs. Derrick.' "'I know what I should have done if I got a hold of you,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'I thought I never would speak to you again. "'But, you see, I've got over it.' "'I'm not sure of it,' said the doctor meditatively. "'Folks out of the house. "'Well, it strikes me I've been in to little purpose this afternoon.' "'He rose again. "'Where is Mr. Linden? "'Is he out or in this fine day?' "'He's out this afternoon,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'I was thinking to ask you if you wanted to see him.' and then I knew it was of no use. "'Yes, I should like to see him,' said the doctor. "'But as he is mortal like myself, I suppose I can find him another time, by use of proper precautions.' And Dr. Harrison took his departure. Mrs. Derrick, on her part, went upstairs again, and opening the door merely peeped in this time. "'What is it, mother? Are you busy yet, child?' "'Not quite through.' "'I thought,' said Mrs. Derrick, stepping softly into the room, "'that we'd go down to the shore this afternoon and maybe dig up some clams.' I don't know, but it's too late for that. We might ride down and see. You're tired, pretty child, and other people won't like that a bit more than I do. I'd like to go, mother. I'm almost done, and I'm not tired, Faith said with happy eyes. There is time, I guess, for Mr. Linden don't want tea as early as usual. I'll come soon. Mrs. Derrick withdrew softly, and again Faith was entirely lost in her business. But she had nearly done now. The work was presently finished, the books put up in order and the papers with the exercise on top, and Faith stood a moment looking down at it. Not satisfied, but too humble to have any false shame, too resolute to doubt of being satisfied and of satisfying someone else by and by. And the intellectual part of her exercise, she thought, and with modest reason, would satisfy him now. Then she went down to her mother, quite ready for the beach, or for anything else. It was one of those very warm October days which unlearned people call Indian summer, the foreground landscape yellow with stubble fields and seared forest, the distance blue with haze, so soft and still that the faint murmur of the wheels as they rolled along the sandy road sounded as if at a distance, and the twittering birds alone set off the silence. Now and then came a farm wagon loaded with glowing corn, then the field where the bereaved pumpkins lay among the bundles of corn stalks. Sportsmen passed with their guns, schoolboys with their nut bags, and many were the greetings Faith received. For since that day at Nanticut, every boy thought he had a right to take off his hat to her. From the midst of his cornfield, Mr. Simmons gave them a wave of his hand. From the midst of its blue waters, the sound sent a fresh welcome. "'I declare, child,' said Mrs. Derrick as they neared the shore, "'it's real pleasant.' "'The tide's out, mother,' said Faith, who had the spirit of action upon her today. "'We can get some clams now if we're quick.' "'I don't know, but you're learning to be spry, among other things,' said her mother, looking at her. "'I thought you were as spry as you could be before. "'What haven't you done today, child?' Faith laughed a little, and then, jumping out of the wagon and helping her mother down, was certainly spry in getting ready for the clam digging. Her white dress had been changed for a common one, and that was carefully pinned up, and a great kitchen apron was put on to cover all but the edges of the skirts as white as the white dress, and with shoes and stockings off, basket and hoe in hand, she stood ready almost before her mother had accomplished fastening up old crab to her satisfaction. Mrs. Derrick, on her part, prepared herself as carefully for work, though not quite so evidently for play, and the two went down to the flats. 
The tide was far out. Even the usual strips of water were narrow and far apart. Wherever they could, the little shellfish scrambled about and fought their miniature battles in one-inch water. But at the edge of the tall shore grass there was no water at all, unless in the mud, and the shellfish waited by hundreds for the tide. Here was the scene of action for the two ladies, walking daintily over the warm mud with their bare feet, which, however white and twinkling at first, were soon obliged to yield the circumstances, disturbing the little shellfish, who in turn disturbed them, by very tilitating little attacks upon the aforesaid feet. Mrs. Derrick and Faith marched up to the edge of the grass, and there sought for clam-holes. The war went on after this fashion. A clam-hole being found, the hoe struck far down into the mud to unearth the inhabitant, which the clam resenting spit up into the intruder's face. But the intruder, proof against such small fire, repeated the strokes, and the clam was soon brought to light and tumbled ignominiously into the basket, to be followed every second or two by another of its companions, for the clam-holes were many. The basket was soon full, but not before the cool ripple of the tide had passed the mussel rocks and was fast to coming in shore. "'Well, I do think play's hard work,' said Mrs. Derrick, bringing herself once more in an erect position. "'I told Dr. Harrison so this morning. How you and Mr. Linden stand it, Faith, I don't know.' "'What, mother?' said Faith, making a descent upon another promising clamshell. But Mrs. Derrick always preferred to go on with her remarks. "'It's good he's doing it for his own sake, I guess,' she said. "'He's done nothing but work ever since he came to Patacosset.' "'Doing what, mother?' said Faith. "'What are you talking of?' "'Why, I'm talking of you, child. You and Mr. Linden. One of you played all the morning, and the other is going to play all the afternoon. But I think you've done enough, Faith. It won't do to get sick so long as you've got nobody but Dr. Harrison to depend on. I don't believe he's much of a doctor.' "'Played all the morning?' said Faith, taking up her basket. "'It was better than play to me. I wish I could do something for him, mother.' Very gravely, and even a little sorrowfully, the last words were said. "'Why, yes,' said Mrs. Derrick stoutly. "'Never tell me it's anything but play to teach you, child. He didn't look as if it was, neither. I thought he got his pay as he went along.' Faith knew he had looked so, but that was not Faith. It was Mr. Linden, in her account." "'Dr. Harris not to be a good doctor, mother,' she remarked, leaving the subject. "'He's had chance enough.' "'La, child,' said Mrs. Derrick, untying her apron. "'Chance don't prove anything. A man may just have had a good chance to kill as he has to cure, by which I don't mean that he has, for I don't know.' "'The tide is coming in, mother. We came just on the very point of the time. How pretty it is,' said Faith, standing in the blue mud with her bare feet and the basket of clams in her hand but standing still to look off at the flats and the dark water and the hazy opposite shore, all with the sunny stillness and the soft enveloping haze of October lying lovingly upon them. Faith thought of the glory again, and watched to see how water and shore and flats and sky were all touched with it. One or two sails in the sound could not get on. They lay still in the haze like everything else, and the glory was on them too. She thought so. It seemed to touch everything and another glory touched everything, the glory of truth Faith had only for a little while come to know. She recognized it. There was light from heaven in more senses than one, the glow of joy and hope unknown a while before, the softening veil of mind-peace over whatever might be harsh or sharp in actual reality. She did not run out all the parallel, but she felt it, and stood looking with full eyes, not full of tears, but of everything pleasant beside. Then came the drive home, 
with the air darkening every minute, but notwithstanding this, Mrs. Derrick stopped by the way. Faith, she said, hold the reins, child, I won't be a second, but I've got something to see to in here. And Faith was once more left to her meditations. Not for long, for as she sat gazing over old Crab's ears, she was aware of someone standing by the wagon. It was Squire Deacon. "'I shall commence to think I'm a lucky man after all,' said the squire. "'I was coming down to see you, Miss Faith, and couldn't just resolve my mind to it, neither. I wanted to pay a parting visit.' "'Were you? Are you going away, Squire Deacon?' "'Why, yes,' said the squire, looking down at his gun, for he had been shooting. "'I've had considerable thoughts of taking to a turn down to York. Silly says she don't think it's worth my while, but I guess she don't know much more in her own concerns.' Pottercost it's a good deal come round this season, he added, without specifying which way. Do you mean that you intend to forsake Pottercosset entirely? said Faith, noticing the comfortable supply of ducks in the squire's bag. Well, I just can't say. I'm not free to certify, said the squire. I said I thought it was worth my while to go, and so I do. I should like to know from your lips, Miss Faith whether you'll make it worth my while to come back. Faith was very glad it was so dark. I don't see how I can touch that question either way, sir, she said gently and with not a little difficulty. Wherever you are, I hope you'll be very happy and very good, Squire Deacon. I should like something a little better grown than that, ma'am, said the squire, striking his gun on the ground. I can't tell whether that's wheat or oats. It's likely my meaning's plain enough. Faith was dumb for a minute. I believe I understood you, sir, she said in a low voice. I meant to answer you. Well, what's to hinder your doing it, then? said Squire Deacon. I thought I had done it, said Faith. I have nothing to do with the question of your coming or going anywhere, and can't have, except to wish you well, which I do heartily. That's your ultimate, is it, Miss Faith? No, sir, said Faith, conquering the beating of her heart. Squire Deacon, I want to see you in heaven. And she stretched out to him her little hand, frankly over the side of the wagon. Squire Deacon took it for a moment, then dropped it as if it had burnt his fingers. And then, with a voice in which whether sorrow or anger prevailed, Faith could not tell, he said, Well, I don't blame you. Never did and never shall. Cunning's been too much for me this time. And he took up his gun and strode off, just as Mrs. Derrick opened the house door and came out to take her place in the wagon again. Dear mother, said Faith, why didn't you come sooner? Why, I couldn't, child, said Mrs. Derrick. That woman will always tell one every pain and ache she's had since the year one. What's the matter? Why didn't you tie Crab and come in if you were lonesome? Faith was silent. What's the matter? repeated her mother. Have you been getting sick after all I said to you? Squire Deacon has been here talking to me, Faith said in a low tone. Well, then, you had company, I'm sure. What did he talk about? Come, Crab, get on, sir. He says he is going away from Patacosset, and he lays it to me, mother, she said, after some hesitancy again. What does he lay it to you for? said Mrs. Derrick. I don't believe he's going away to begin with. He wanted me to say something to bring him back again, said Faith, lower yet. Oh, is that all? said Mrs. Derrick, composedly. I knew that gun was loaded long ago. Well, what's the harm if he did? It's not dangerous. I'm sorry, said Faith, but mother, do make Crab get on. It's time. 
it's not late, said Mrs. Derrick, and don't you fret about Sam Deacon, child. He always was a little goose, till he got to be a big one, but you needn't think he'll ever shoot himself for love of you. He loves himself better than that. And at this point, Crabbe, roused by the thought of his own supper, set off a good round trot which soon brought them home. There was nobody there, however, not even Cindy, so the need of haste did not seem to have been urgent. Faith soon had the kitchen fire in order, and her clams in the pot, and was for the next half-hour thoroughly busy with them. Then she made herself ready for tea, and the mother and daughter sat together by the lamp, the one with her knitting, the other with her book, but the extra half-hour was already past. "'Faith,' said Mrs. Derrick at last, "'why wouldn't Mr. Linden do the other thing you asked him to?' Faith looked up suddenly from her book, as if not understanding the question. Then her head and her voice drooped together. "'I haven't asked him yet, mother.' "'I didn't know, but he'd some objection,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'Well, I wish he'd come. I want my supper. I'm as tired as tired can be, paddling around there in the mud. How did you like your lantern, child?' she said as the clock struck half-past seven. Faith raised her head and listened first to the clock, and for any sound that might be stirring in the house. Then answered, "'I haven't looked at it, mother.' "'What do you think of having supper?' "'Before Mr. Linden comes, mother. "'Well, if you like it, I'll get yours. "'The clams are ready.' "'I don't care,' said her mother. "'I'm more sleepy than hungry. "'I'll just lie down here on the sofa, "'Faith, and you can wake me up when you hear him.' "'And disregarding the cooked clams in the kitchen, "'Mrs. Derrick went to sleep and dug them all over again. "'The clock ticked on, softly, steadily, "'and the half-hour to the hour, "'and from the hour to the half.' Out of the doors there was nothing stirring, unless the owl stirred between his unmusical notes, or Mr. Skip's dog did something but howl. Hardly a wagon passed, hardly a breath moved the leaves. Cindy, on her part, was lost in the fascination of some neighboring kitchen. And Faith, at first, had been lost in her study. But the sounding of eight o'clock struck on more than the air, and she found, though she tried, she could not shut herself up in her book any more. Mrs. Derrick slept profoundly. Her breathing only made the house seem more still. Faith went to the window to look, and then, for freer breath and vision, went to the door. It was not moonlight, only the light of the stars was abroad, and that still further softened by the haze or a mistiness of the air which made it thicker still. Faith could see little, and could hear nothing, though eyes and ears tried well to penetrate the still darkness of the road up and down. It was too chill to stay on the porch, now with this mist in the air and reluctantly she came back to the sitting-room, her mother sleeping on the sofa, her open study-book under the lamp, the Chinese lantern in its packing-paper. Faith had no wish to open it now. There was no reason to fear anything that she knew. Neither was she afraid, but neither could she rest. Half-past eight struck. She went to the window again, and very gravely sat down by it. She had sat there but a few minutes when there came a rush of steps into the porch, and Cindy burst into the little sitting-room, almost too out of breath to speak. "'Here's a proclamation,' she said. "'Mr. Linden's been shot at dreadful, and Jem Waters is down to fetch Dr. Harrison. I'm free to confess they say he ain't dead yet.' With which pleasing announcement, Cindy rushed off again, out of the room and out of the house, being seized with a sudden fear that Jem Waters would forestall her in spreading the news. The noise had awakened Mrs. Derrick, and she sat looking at Faith as if she was first in her thoughts. Faith stood before her with a colourless face, but perfectly quiet, though at first she looked at her mother without speaking. "'Come here, pretty child,' said her mother, "'and sit down by me.' "'Mother,' said Faith, 
but she would not have known her own voice. Something has happened. But the way Mrs. Derrick's arms came around her said that she too had heard. Where can he be, mother? said Faith gently, disengaging herself. I don't know, child. Faith was already at the door. Faith, her mother said, following her with a quick step. Stop, child. Faith put back a hand as if to stop her. She was listening. There was not a sound. Faith went down to the steps and stood at the gate. Not a sound still, and her mother said softly, Faith, you must not go out. She put one hand on her mother's arm, and clasping it stood without stirring, her other hand on the gate. In mingled sorrow and fear her mother stood, not knowing well what to do or say, in that emergency where a woman can only endure, where she is powerless but to suffer, Faith stood without moving head or hand. And so they remained. They knew not how long, until Cindy once more presented herself and told her story more at length. You see, I was down to Miss Summers, and so was Dr. Harrison, and Jem Waters come there for him, and Jem he makes up to Miss Summers' Jenny, and tonight he wouldn't hardly speak to her, wouldn't know how to tell what he'd come for. So then Jenny got mad, and she went and listened, and she said that Jem wanted to catch up Dr. Harrison and run off with him, and the doctor, he wanted his horse. I don't know how they settled it, but I'm free to confess I'm sleepy. And Cindy once more disappeared, and the stillness settled down over all. End of chapter 16